When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, y'all. We are live on the Falcons podcast on Facebook and YouTube like we are every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. We appreciate you joining us today. My name is Scott Kennedy. I will be your host today over here on this side. Uh, is Nick Kendall. He is in Seattle. I'm in Atlanta. So we're we're uh, coast to coast with your football coverage here. So Nick, how are you doing this morning, my friend? Doing pretty well. Been very busy. Had one more final baby class last night and then didn't start cooking dinner until about 8 p.m. with everything. So doing some exercises and stuff with Natalie as well afterwards. So tired, uh, you know, working on four and a half hours of sleep, but uh, I'm okay. I'm excited. Happy, happy uh, hump day and uh, ready to talk some ball. Are you a baby expert yet? I don't think anybody ever is. It's you know, every baby's different, right? So uh, the important is learn the swaddle. The swaddle is your friend. That's uh, that's a good one. The babies like to be cocooned. Yep. Um, Me too. You know, uh, unless they don't. My uh, my son who can hit a ball a freaking mile came out of the womb strong. And if he didn't want to do something, by God, he wasn't doing anything. My wife would hand him to somebody like, and hold him like, yeah, but be careful. He's freakishly strong. Be like, oh my God, he is. I'm like, yeah, he's. Uh, if, if he didn't want to, if he didn't want a diaper change or a swaddle, by God, wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. It was like wrestling <laughs> with a cat. You know how strong they are. Yes. But, yeah. Listen, we go live because we like the interaction. We like having the conversation with y'all on uh, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that we're here. Uh, and want to say hello to some folks who came in nice and early, like John Harrell. He says, "Good morning, Scott and Nick, and the Falcons family." Let's put on another defensive clinic against the Bucks. Absolutely. Um, I read I read some stats. Greg Augman, I think he he does some NFC South work, but he uh, he's mainly a Bucks guy. Uh, Greg Alman on on Twitter, um, but he was talking about the the Falcons defense, and they had the Falcons defense held the Jets to two for fifteen conversions on third down. New York missed their last ten in a row on third down. That's a pretty good way to uh, to win games, um, you know, and that, that's where I think. The offense went uber conservative as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, listen, these guys aren't moving the ball. Um, you know, that doesn't – I got some some feedback last week, some negative feedback about my criticism of the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, one of my favorite – it was one of the most recent comments. One of my favorite one was like, oh, so just because we're going to make the uh, – you could get blown out in the first round of the playoffs means don't make the playoffs. What a loser mentality, man. I'm like, no, no. The point was, what was the point again? <laughs> the point was just because you make the playoffs doesn't mean all is well. And you should expect more and you should fix, look to be fixing the things that are broken, the things that aren't working. 
that's not a lo- that, that's not settling. That's the opposite of a loser mentality. Just because you won doesn't mean all is well. Now, it sure beats losing for sure. And I still think the overall direction of the team is good, but the offense has regressed. And, yeah. and that's a that's a concern. That's a concern going down the stretch here. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, Arthur Smith doesn't seem to be hitting the buttons as well as he was last season uh, with Mariota. The the run game doesn't feel as dominant where, you know, no matter what, you can spam that and it's working. Uh, and Ritter has been uneven, uh, to put it lightly. So understand the frustrations. I do think last week's game, like you mentioned, it was a little bit of a judo situation where you had the lead and you're just going to, you know, slowly wear them out. You don't think that they're going to hurt you. And by God, they they really didn't because that Jets offense is not Patriots bad, but <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, so I get it. This will be more of a test this week. This is a little bit different opponent, uh, of course. So you're not going to have the Jets defense on the other side of the field. It's probably one of the top three to five units in football, especially considering the offense is uncomplimentary <laughs> to what they're trying to do on the field, detrimental even. Uh, so, yeah, this will be a different opponent. Hopefully, uh, Ritter can do a better job holding on to the football at the uh, the one-yard line. Harry Marshall Wood says, so if the Bucks do win, what tiebreaker puts them in first place? I had to go down the line when I before I wrote this up, Harry, about, you know, this is a battle for first place. Both teams would be six and seven. Okay, so you're tied. They're one and one against each other, so you're tied. They're both three and one in the division. You're tied. They are both four and four right now in conference. There it is. That's the one right there. So if the Buccaneers win, they would move to five and four in conference and the Falcons would drop to four and five in conference. That is the tiebreaker that would put the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in first place if they were to win this game. Yeah, man, you had to get down there to the fourth or fifth one. Uh, I, I know they're all different. For <laughs> I didn't hit the flip a coin yet. I didn't hit yeah. that one yet, but uh, that was it, it, it would go down to conference record, which is what record head to head division. division. Four, so that would be f- fourth one. I think the fifth one was what is it? Is it record versus playoff opponents? Common opponent or, or common opponents? Common, common opponents. Yes, Something yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. yeah. Yep, it's uh, it can get pretty wild, but you're also getting wild in here. Michael Ronquillo coming in with a fifty dollar super chat over on YouTube. He says, "Good morning, Scott and Nick on the Falcons podcast. Good morning to you, Michael. God bless you, man. That's a uh, thank you so much for helping us out on the holiday season and." Uh, a Broncos fan coming in and contributing on the Falcons show. I mean, it doesn't get kinder yeah. than that. So Michael's a real that. one. Keeping Nick in, in 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 diapers coming over here the next uh, the next few weeks uh, coming in <laughs> Christmas. Michael, thank you. The support you show to Nick and I across all of our shows is just heartwarming, dude. So happy holidays to you, and we'll see you again tomorrow morning over Broncos for breakfast. So thank you for everything you do for us and do for the show. Uh, liquor with Lenore comes in. Good morning. All keep the win streak going. Yeah. Four and six to six and six, seven and six starts looking pretty good. Uh, Oblivion empire. So what's good. What is good. What, what is good right now? What's good. Uh, well, let me see. We just Falcons broke defense, the uh, Jesse Bates. Yeah. Yeah. We just broke uh the weather, the all-time rain for December 5th yesterday in uh, Seattle, so that's great. Um, that's a lot but, of water. Yeah, but it was also the hottest December 5th in history um, for uh, Seattle. We get these events called Pineapple Express, not the uh, the marijuana movie. By say, that makes me think of being stoned. Yep, yep. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's a good time. Um, so I've been just soaked, but uh, luckily I got out the uh, rain gear. So 
A lot of fun. <laughs> Brandon D also says, good morning, Scott. Well, thanks, Brandon. Appreciate you. Good morning to you. Uh, hope you're doing well and uh, happy hump day. So one of the things, uh, before we get to into this while we're saying hellos, I want to give a preview of the show, some of the things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk some Desmond Ritter. I, I, I pulled up some charts and stuff. We're going to talk CBS and what they thought of the young quarterbacks, which is a little strange, um, their their rankings. Uh, and then we'll we'll really look at this Tampa Bay, uh, this Tampa Bay game, because Again, seven and six. Uh, and, and real quick on the power rankings, uh, I wrote up last week. I said the Falcons could win these next three games and still stick around where they are, which is 19 and 20 in the power rankings. That's where they are. They didn't move. So they won the game against the Jets. ESPN had them at 20. NFL had them at 19. Now against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's again, it's a game you should, should win at home. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not very good. Uh, Baker Mayfield is a dangerous quarterback, both to his own team and to his and to an opponent, because he'll put the ball in harm's way, but he'll take shots. So you hope that he's putting the ball in harm's way, and Jesse Bates is is going to come out on top there. Uh, Michael coming in, appreciate you for sure coming in over on on YouTube. Dom is here. Good morning, Scott. Nick Falcons, Dog Nation, Broncos country. Jordan Brown says, good morning, gents. Happy Wednesday on Facebook. Breaking the ice over there on Facebook for us. Happy Hump Day from Chris Walker on Facebook. Dave is here as well. This feels like a newer name. I feel like I'd remember that tube. Another PRPR says, good morning. It's been a while. Maybe it has been a while. So welcome back. Pamela Johnson, great to see you this morning. She says, good morning, Scott and Nick. Looking forward to uh, Sunday's game against the Bucks. Let's show up and show out and pack the bends. Um... Want to uh, want to talk a little bit, Desmond Ritter? There is a an article here from CBS. Who is the author on this? Chris Trapasso. Uh, he led it with um, basically, "Hey, let me drop this in the chat for y'all real quick. I want to make sure we share when we're doing this." Um, basically said, "Hey, Desmond Ritter was surprisingly okay." I'm like, wow, that's kind of damning with faint praise, isn't it, Nick? And as I went through the, you know, the grades of the young quarterbacks as he went through, I'm not sure what I felt about this. You know, his the summary was, believe it or not, Ritter actually held his own in the rain against the Jets' ferocious, stingy defense. He took a few sacks and was forced to throw the ball away and wasn't sensation home, but there was a higher number of impressive throws and solid completions than I was expecting. Grade B minus. Well, he was 11 for 27. He didn't turn the ball over. I just feel like the grade on that was, wow, my expectations were so low that he didn't turn the ball over three times. Let's say how not awful that was and really play that up. And I say that because CJ Stroud, who threw for 300 yards and had a drop and missed a guy, had the same grade. Of a B minus. I'm like, you can't watch CJ Stroud's game against the Broncos and Desmond Ritter's grade game against the Jets and say these two are the same. For me, it's we talk about bias all the time. There's there's bias is what makes up your personality. No one is unbiased. I feel like he came into this writing based on his expectations. CJ Stroud is an MVP candidate at this point. So he wasn't spectacular. So let's get him a B minus. Desmond Ritter is among the bottom five quarterbacks in the NFL, and he wasn't god-awful, so let's give him a B-. That's That doesn't jive with me. Yeah, I need if this was in class, I'd need to see the rubric. What are we actually grading on here? Because the grade doesn't make any sense. Uh, and it's not just – I mean, 
I guess from a single game sample size, CJ Stroud wasn't incredible uh, versus the Broncos. They actually did pretty well against him, especially in the second half. I mean, they were blitzing on first and second down and they were getting home, uh, which was fun. But on this, it's the season grades for me. I mean, the fact that, I mean, if you didn't want to give him an A plus because he's not playing like, you know, pr- uh, prime Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, is that your A plus grade? Then fine. But for a rookie, I mean, is You're he right. having the it best? a B minus for the overall grade. My God, he's having one of the best rookie seasons in the history of this game. I'm probably the best one I can remember since Andrew Luck. Uh, there's been, I mean, Dak Prescott was incredible. His Justin rookie Herbert season had a good, good season. Justin good Herbert, year. yes, exactly. But that's the that's the era we're talking about there. I think anything less than an A on the season for C.J. Stroud is, uh, I mean, it's not like he's out there throwing to Jamar Chase. It's, you know, day two picks who've been great. Nico Collins and Tank Dell, who, too bad about his ankle. But, uh, yeah, I don't. I do not understand. Uh, how we got to the grades here. I mean, giving Purdy a B on the season, I get you might not think he's great, uh, but he's, you know, super damn efficient. We just saw him eviscerate the Eagles. So uh, I'm not sure what's going on with the grading here. Uh, Desmond Ritter, I think, was not horrible in the Jets game. He basically gave the same grade to Brock Purdy as he did Desmond Ritter. Yeah, which I don't understand exactly. I I get that the the Shanahan scheme and the weaponry in San Francisco and what they can do in the run game is different than everybody else right now. I think they're first and second in EPA per for the, excuse me, they're first and second in the EP uh, success rate and per pass and first or second in success rate per rush for the 49ers. So they've been awesome in both sides, but yeah, I, I don't understand this at all. If I was grading Ritter on this last Sunday, I'd probably give him a C and on the season, Probably give him a D plus C minus. I mean, that's and that's being probably a little kind to him as well. And it, and it really, when you go through those lists of the young quarterbacks right now, it goes to show you how hard it is to get quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. they mentioned of these guys. I'm like, there's two I feel good about right now. Brock Purdy and CJ Stroud. Because you go Brock Purdy was on here. These are first and second year quarterbacks that played last week. Bryce Young, Sam Howell, no. Uh, you get to Kenny Pickett, no. Will Levis, no. CJ Stroud, yes. Uh, Bailey Zappi, no. Desmond Ritter, mm, you know, not yet. You know, I don't think we've seen enough that you hand him the job next year. And that's what I keep saying. There's a couple of charts going around that I want to share with you all. And for those of you listening after the fact on the podcast, I'll do my best to uh, to um, highlight what these are. Um, there's a chart here, and I can't really zoom in on that anymore. Apologies. But it's basically the Y-axis, which is going up says per- percentage of throws to open receivers. And then on the uh, on the x-axis, which is going across left to right, it's average receiver separation. So the Falcons come in just under average on separation from their receivers. And Desmond Ritter comes in way last on throwing to the open receiver. Okay, so we, we mentioned all the time, it looks like every single throw that he makes is contested. Now, I haven't watched the All-22, and I owe that to y'all. I will. You know, why Why is it every throw contested? Well, according to this chart, it's because he's not throwing to the open man. Um, the second, what you know, looking at this, again, if you're Justin Fields, you say, get me a damn receiver. Uh, Justin Fields is way over here on the far left, which means his receivers are getting the worst separation. But if they are open, he is finding them. Uh, he's better than average at finding the open receiver, even though they're rarely open. Um, I think that bodes well. That's a good metric for an argument for Justin Fields right now. 
Yeah. I mean, the issue is that he's kind of a home run to check down kind of guy, and he's had some issues with getting through the full progression. Uh, but yeah, Ritter has been struggling. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL in quick game uh, this season. Luckily, the Falcons are still doing okay uh, with the explosives, uh, which is, you know, super, super important for uh, offense in today's NFL. Uh, but the explosive, pa- it's really being carried by the explosive rushes. They're seventh in the NFL in explosive rush rate coming in all the way at 22nd in explosive pass rate. And those explosive passes are more valuable than the explosive runs. So, yeah, it's a... Um, Britter's not doing enough right now, and that's probably not shouldn't be totally surprising given you know third round pick and first season starting, et cetera, et cetera. But it is surprising to an extent the infrastructure and investment around him. Uh, you have an offensive-minded head coach who is lauded for the design and the run game, and you have just first round pick after first round pick on the offensive side of the ball. It's not just you know the weaponry, but Offensive line as well. You got three first round picks on there, a high second round pick at, at left guard, and then lottery picks at wide receiver and uh, tight end. So it's not good enough right now. Luckily, we still have five games uh, to see how it plays out. I think we've we've probably seen enough by Ritter right now to say that he isn't going to be special or anything like that. But you never know. It's just like the like Jordan Love was doing just okay to start the season, but you always saw the the arm ability and the athleticism. And now it's starting to click. They are starting to hum there in Green Bay. Watch out for Jordan Love and that young offense. Uh, But there were flashes there. And I just, I'm not seeing the same level of flashes from Desmond Ritter. If you just a little bit more stiff and unnatural. So, um, and I agree. And Joseph says, I can see the logic on this. You take into the the caliber of the defense and the weather conditions. And I'm tired of hearing about the weather. I, I really am. It's the defense is really good, but when you're 12 of 27, why are you throwing the ball 27 times? If you if you don't have any hope of completing the ball because of the weather conditions, then why are you throwing it 27 times? I don't think you called pass plays with the expectations of not completing the pass. 12 of 27 isn't good enough. It's it's just not. Um, but again. You, you, you have a hard time watching, and I watched them both, C.J. Stroud and Desmond Ritter, and say, oh, yeah, these, these two are the same. And when we talk about defense, as you know, defense has been really good at taking the ball away and limiting players recently was the Denver Broncos, who were on a five-game winning streak. So, again, the other chart, I, I didn't have I, – I thought I saved it, and I didn't, so I flashed the wrong one. But the other chart that was in there was uh, accuracy versus throwing to open receivers – and it was basically Desmond Ritter is better than average with his accuracy, but his throwing to guys that are covered. So that kind of goes hand in hand with the other one. Nick, how much of that can improve with time, with experience, et cetera, et cetera? Because it's saying, hey, he's he's throwing accurately into coverage to the wrong guy. What does it take to become the right guy? Because that's where he is missing right now. He's picking, the, according to this, this data and these charts, and from what I see from my eye test, Desmond Ritter's not throwing to the right guy. That's something that can click uh, over time still. It's better understanding the offense. It's also, some of it could be the progressions and the offensive pass game design by Arthur Smith. So it's not just Desmond Ritter in that scenario. There's a lot, obviously a lot of factors uh, to do because, you know, when we're sitting here after the fact, we can follow the quarterback's eyes. We can see how the routes progress, but we don't know the actual 
progression, right? Uh, so some of it could be on the play design. Uh, Arthur Smith is definitely known more for his run design than he is the passing game. Uh, so that could be something that I don't see besides the running back stuff. I don't see a lot of high percentage stuff, but that comes back to Desmond Ritter struggling in the quick game. So uh, I do think that he is, I would rather have him throwing accurately, but not finding the open guy consistently. Cause at least I think that is something that can be improved. If you're just wildly inaccurate, I don't think there's much help for you. Right. Uh, so I guess there is some hope there, but uh, hopefully with more reps and everything, he can start to find the open guy, get it to them and throw a catchable ball where there is a yak opportunity. Yeah. And uh, JB1521 says, there ain't no way we have that many open receivers. I, I kind of feel the same way, dude. Mm. <laughs> you know, again, so what is the average separation? Okay. How many times are you throwing the ball and what is the average? And is it one guy skewing this because he's being completely ignored? You know, Johnny Smith is open by five yards and everybody else is covered and in a three-man route. All of a sudden your separation averages 1.7. Um, but I've said before, and I, I think that's what Ryan is, is saying here. Ryan, it's good to see you, bud. He says, let's face it, Arthur Smith's offense isn't going to make Manning or Brady into a superstar. This is a run-heavy play-action type of offense. However, it did get Ryan Tannehill a ton of money. Um, so there are shots to be made in there. Um, you know, we we talked a little bit about Kyle Pitts last week, and Brian Finner has just eviscerated Kyle Pitts. Um, I, I just don't think he's ever going to get the separation when he's out wide because he's lining up as an X, he'll do a little bit better in the slot, but his he's, he's a tight end. You know, he needs to be mismatched against big safeties and or linebackers to really take advantage of why you drafted him, not against six, two corners out there who can run with him and probably have him on the agility scale uh, as far as change of direction go. Yeah, that's certainly, that's a good point. Uh, and back to the separation. I mean, you drafted, contested catch big guys out there as well. So there's probably some feeding into that. I mean, I think the target share uh, between this is very high to uh, Drake London in comparison. Johnny Smith, we always, we'll always have the Johnny Smith jokes with Kyle Pitts, but Drake London's getting a good amount of targets out there. So you, the, the weaponry you have as well doesn't lend itself to separators being early in the progression. Uh, because if you're trying to highlight your lottery picks in the pass catching area. Uh, so we got Derek D'Anthony, Dixon says King's ransom to Eric Bieniemy. Can we get him? If and if we could, could we keep Kyle? Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Eric Bieniemy this offseason because it does seem like the Commanders are going to tear it down. Uh, he'll be available. I guess it's a possibility. Uh, he's had some you know skeletons in the closet with his time in Colorado, but he's worked with Andy Reid and I think he's done a pretty good job with Sam Howell, considering the offensive line in uh, Washington is not great. And you're dealing with a fifth round rookie or a second year quarterback. So, and he's made improvements uh, over the season. So I, I guess that could be a possibility. I don't know if I'm King's ransom for Eric Bieniemy. Uh I think also probably you're looking for a offensive minded head coach to come in still Scott. I mean, there's good defensive ones out there, but everybody wants the stability of the offensive mind if you can. And uh, in that case, Eric Bieniemy, unless you're saying Eric Bieniemy for head coach, which I'm not sure about that compared to some other guys out there, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the passing offense, you know, Sam Howell is second in the league in in total yards. He has a game on most everybody else. Washington hasn't had their bye week yet, um, but 18 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. So he's a gunslinger right now, but he's he's putting it all over the place. Um, again. I don't know if, if the enemy is the right guy. I just, 
I don't mind Arthur Smith. But when we start talking about this, we talked about it last week. Would Arthur Smith hire a different offensive coordinator or basically promote Dave Ragone to play caller to see what we've got? I don't know. I don't know. And right now, I am not on board with Arthur Smith as the offensive coordinator on this team. I'm not. They have regressed mightily. Um, they've gone. They went from 15th last year to I think 24th in scoring. It's it hasn't looked good. The the, the teams look sloppier this year when it comes to turnovers and penalties, and the the numbers just aren't there. And considering the investment that has been made on the offensive side of the ball, we should expect more. If I'm Rich McKay, if I'm Arthur Blank, I want more out of this offense. Arthur Smith, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do besides, well, we got to figure things out and we got to clean things up and we got to get better? Well, yeah, no skidding. What are you going to do about it? That's that's what I want to know. When we start talking offseason here and you know, offseason reviews and moving forward, and I'm making a decision as a general manager, president, owner, what are you going to do to to make this offense better other than personnel? Am I going to drop another first round draft pick on a wide receiver? Maybe. Would that do it? Maybe, maybe not. So there's there's big questions here on the offensive side of the ball, Nick. I, and everything, all roads lead back to the quarterback. Uh, is Desmond Ritter probably has not played well enough to get another chance next season without at least competition. But you're you're kind of on the, uh, hate to say, you're kind of on the Drew Locke path here uh, with Ritter. I think he's a better caretaker, uh, not making dumb decisions every game, but uh, also a little bit less of the gunslinger. So, yeah, you got to get a little bit more from the offense. And, you know, just again, some of the, the advanced metrics here, your 25th in EPA per play this season. That's not good, obviously. 26th in success rate. You are 23rd in EPA per pass and 23rd in EPA per rush. And your pass rate over expected is 32. So not only are you not getting a lot from Ritter, but you're also running it pretty much every chance you get. You are a team that is in situations where you're expected to pass, you run the ball. So not a lot on Ritter's plate. And we're still having a little bit of, struggles here so it's uh it's frustrating for sure and Breon green says the quality of ritter's missed throws are so much better than they were at the beginning of the season i love this Breon. i don't know if you're joking or not but that's funny yeah (laughs) man his incompletions look so much better than they used to we're making progress dude (laughs) that's that's funny i think that is funny um clayton hawks good to see you clayton he says hopefully we get hollins back this week he creates separation often PFF, Van Jefferson has 500 snaps this year. That's twice as many as Mac Hollins. Do you know where PFF has Van Jefferson ranked among 120 wide receivers? 119. 120. <laughs> 120. Yeah. What is this guy offering you that Scotty Miller couldn't? That, you know, that, that, Blocking, uh, maybe? Hell, Frank Darby couldn't, that Zay Malone couldn't. What is this guy offering you? He's been poor. Yeah. Poor. Yep, and that's why not a first-round pick for sure, but uh, I think wide receiver is still an option there for the Falcons. Why would you take a wide receiver if you can't get you know the quarterback? Well, you got to get good players when you can and keep improving, so that way you're hopefully good enough when you do get the quarterbacks so you can take off. Uh, JB also says Arthur needs an offensive coordinator if nothing else is done. Yeah, I, if they fall off this season and don't make the playoffs, I think he might be gone, but let's say they struggle and the offense is still bad. Maybe you see some movement there and uh, you have – Arthur Smith's still here with a new offensive coordinator getting play calls, but that sometimes feels like the beginning of the end uh, with stuff like that. So we'll see Knight Rider come in says Kyle Stain. Anybody wants to trade Kyle Pitts is plum crazy. I love it. Plum crazy. 
depends on what you get for him. I right now, I mean, if you get a first round pick for Kyle Pitts, I think you at least consider it uh, with the resetting of the contract. He's going to probably get paid here uh, at some point coming up here soon, even though he hasn't been great. He's going to carry that lottery pick stuff with him. Somebody's going to say, Oh, the potential He's still so young and he still could hit. Uh, But I think at least you're probably taking calls on him right now, but you're not outright shopping him, looking to move him no matter what. It's just, you know, we're listening. Who was the, give me a top five pick in the 2020 draft. Do you remember? 2021. 2020 draft. So the one before Before Kyle Pitts. Uh, That was the draft with Andrew Thomas went fourth overall. Uh, Jerry G 2020. You had Tristan Wirfs go 13 overall. Uh, you had Jerry Judy go 15. You had Justin Jefferson. So it was, go, it was Andrew Thomas and Tua and Jeff Okuda. Um, Jeff Okuda. Yep, they, I would imagine the Giants picked up Andrew Thomas's I think option so. year. Yeah, I think so. So Chase I was young too. Yep. Considering what that might cost. Um, because again, this is, this is the problem y'all. It's not, Oh, you know, do you, would you rather have, would you rather have Kyle Pitts or not have Kyle Pitts? The problem is, is in about four months, you have to make a decision on whether or not you want to pick up his, his fifth-year option. So the fifth-year option for um, – it looks like they extended him before that. So it was 2023. Let me see. Career earnings. His fifth-year option was around – I think they, they extended him before that. But it, it's going to be around $15 million, y'all. For, for Kyle Pitts, and you have to make that decision this offseason. Now, honestly, I would probably take it, probably take it, and then still look, hey, if someone wants to offer me a first, I'm listening. But you're going into the fourth year, and your quarterback situation is still questionable at best, and you're about to run out of options with this guy. He He's not going to play. He probably wouldn't want to. Well, he might want to play on a franchise tag because he's not going to get you know, 15 to $17 million on the open market. So you're running out of time on Kyle Pitts that you could lose him as a free agent, trade him for nothing like Jeff Okuda, or you, you end up paying him a big chunk of money. And right now, do you want to pay him a bunch of money? Probably not. It's just the talent is still there and tantalizing. He's still young as a tight end. We call those and guys coach killers. Yeah. Absolutely. Or general manager killers. Oh man, we're, we're going to be the ones to unlock him. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's uh, it's a conundrum, no doubt. And what makes it tough is you always say, Scott, it's not the guys you take. It's the guys you are the guys you miss. Like it's you not something. the guys you miss. It's the guys you take and can't play. Yes. And not that Kyle Pitts can't play, but uh, I guess it is in this case, somewhat the guys that you miss because Jamar Chase, Michael Parsons, Patrick Sertan, Rashawn Slater. I mean, that 2021 yeah, Kyle draft Pitts was, had turned out to be, you know, the unicorn tight end who's averaging 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, you'd be on the neighborhood of 3,600 yards and 30 touchdowns so far. He has four. He has four touchdowns. Well, that's the quarterback's fault, is it? Because there's a lot of people apologizing for Desmond Ritter in here, and he only has one touchdown. Or is it Kyle Pitts, or is it Arthur Smith? Whatever it is, you're running out of time. You're running out of time on Kyle Pitts. So you might seriously consider moving on from Kyle Pitts and getting a return on that investment at least in a form of a high draft pick, because you're not getting it on the field for one reason or another. Whether it's Kyle Pitts being lazy, hurt, just not as good as we thought he was going to be, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback, whatever it is, he's he's going to be taking up a big chunk of resources or you need to move on from him. 
Yeah. And to be fair, you mentioned the injury. I mean, I witnessed it covering the Broncos that it took two years really for Cortland Sutton to really start to trust his leg again after suffering a pretty terrible uh, ACL injury. So working back from that, I mean, some of the runs, he's looked a little bit hobbled this season, that big frame, uh, the big lanky frame. So do want to be fair to him. We don't know. I don't know exactly what he's dealing with or how the recovery is going from the ACL, but the, the output has not been what you expect. I tend to put a little bit more on the quarterbacking, uh, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And you're, as you mentioned, you're running out of time. You have a decision coming up here very soon. And it's a tough one. I think I'm with you that you do extend it, uh, put place the fifth year option on him, but it's a hundred percent guaranteed mm-hmm. for, uh, it's going to be about $15 million, yeah, 15 million. I mean, that's, that's a big chunk of change for somebody who is not a volume player on your offense and also not creating touchdowns at a high rate. Sam Laporta has more touchdowns in his first 12 games than Kyle Pitts has his quarterback situation. has he started with, Oh, he started with Kirk cousins. That's Minnesota Vikings. Am I, who, who am I? Where's Laporta? You're mixing up your Iowa tight ends here. That was TJ Hawkinson. You're yeah. thinking of there. Sam Laporta, Laporta is it with Detroit with uh, Ben Detroit. Johnson. Okay, and yeah. He's, he's had a, he's been, then he's been steady at quarterback. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Jared Goff has been, has been good. Um, you know, what is it Brevin? What's what's the the defensive back with five pick sixes this year at Dallas? Bland, Brevin, Bland, yeah, Deron Bland. Yeah, he's got more touchdowns than than Kyle Pitts in his career. So again, you're either going to have to decide to pay this man a whopping sum of money or move on. Mm-hmm. That decision's coming, and it's coming. And again, it's a risk if you pick up his option. But that doesn't necessarily mean you still can't trade him. I, I think you probably would take the risk for one year, one more year to pick up his 2025 fifth year option. And if it doesn't work out, you're out $15 million. That's the worst case. If it does, maybe um, I've got the guy I drafted or I can I can move on from him. I have his rights for one more year and I can trade him. Devin Johnson says, I still contend we draft Jaden Daniels and let him and Red Ritter battle it out in camp. I think Dez is just a high-end QB, too, and there's nothing wrong with that. We just need a net positive QB. I think the problem here, Devin, is it's going to be awfully hard to get Jaden Daniels right now, the way his stock is skyrocketing, Nick. Yeah, I mean, Dane Brugler had him going, I think, eight overall in his most recent mock draft. Uh, I've seen others, a lot of uh, top 10 chatter as well. I think Dane also mentioned that some teams have Jaden Daniels graded higher at this point in the process. Uh, then they even had Anthony Richardson last season, who ended up going fourth overall. Uh, so Jaden Daniels is somebody whose stock is skyrocketing. He is a little bit older. Uh, he is aesthetically kind of odd because of the how slender his frame is, but he's pushing the ball down the field. He's going through progressions. He's hitting tight windows, and he's a really good athlete. Uh, man, he's explosive. That Florida game that he had, I know Florida's you know not great uh, this season, but some of the plays he has are just like, oh my God, this is just like somebody playing – NCAA football trying to boost their Heisman campaign and just quarterback everything so we can uh, pat the stats. So he's been awesome. I think that if you lose this week to the Bucks and you kind of flounder down the stretch and you're sitting there maybe around 12, you could possibly uh, go up and make a move for him. I don't think he's going to make it to 12 right now, but we're still, you know, four, four and a half months out. So things can change. Uh, but I think you have to probably lose the division to be within range. You're talking to a guy who I think is leaning f- towards the top 10 pick uh, come April right now. 
Calder Om comes and he says, Aints fans are giving away fire Dennis Ellen shirts at the next home game. Do you think we should do the same? The New Orleans Saints not only are underachieving based on expectations, which is enough to start thinking about getting somebody fired. They are $90 million over the salary cap next year. $90 million. I'd be having a shirt that says fire somebody. There is a bottom coming for the New Orleans Saints. This is, let's give this one more shot and go get $150 million quarterback. And we think we'll be okay. And it hasn't worked out. There's going to be a nuke in New Orleans where they where they have to basically start fresh, wipe out all of that debt that they've accumulated through extensions and contracts, basically do what the Atlanta Falcons had to do last year, which was play with $110 million against a $220 million cap. They're going to have to that, – that day is coming, and mm-hmm. there's going to be some – but at least you would have some direction if you're the, if you're the Saints because right now they seem – they just seem aimless, man. That's a team that I feel like you should really just, you know, lean into the Aints for a couple of years, get the uh, get the books right and clean slate. Uh, the NFC South, I guess, is open still, so I understand trying to give it one more run. Uh, but they really need, I think, a somebody who can come in and you know hold things down to do during a long term. Uh, rebuild because that team, the way the books are set up from the Sean Payton era, it's just you can't keep kicking the can. I guess you can. I mean, when does the bill eventually come if you just event always, you know, keep kicking the can? But uh, that's something that I would be an advocate for. You lose a lot of flexibility when you are that negative in the cap. You pretty much have to be perfect in the draft. And that's you and I both know, Scott, that's just not a reasonable ask. Uh, you could be the best drafting team ever and you're still only going to hit, you know, 5% above average. Uh, five, 10% above average. So uh, Saints are a weird team. They're going to be an interesting case study. Maybe they can help reset because they do have talent on that roster, no doubt. But they just, I think it's probably at some point you got to clear the books and uh, get yourself net zero. So that way you can rebuild. Bucks raise bolts comes in. He says, uh, Scott, Nick, and I'm going to ask this to all y'all and I'll, I won't answer right away. Cause I think the answer to this is pretty unanimous. It, it, everybody should feel the same on this one. Scott, do you want to win on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or get a top 10 pick, you know, win on Sunday and possibly get bounced in the first round or get a top 10 pick? Uh, And I'm interested to think what the community thinks on this. Um, I'll give you my answer, Nick, after I hear yours. What do you think the answer is for this one? I'd rather win. Uh, There's no guarantees in the draft. I think you get a little bit more value from making the playoffs. You can hang the banner. You know, it's something that you can't take away. There's no, it's hard to make the playoffs still, even though they expanded it by another, uh, another team over the last couple seasons. But uh, I mean, top 10 pick again, if, probably not within range of getting a no doubt guy uh, in that, in this class, in that case, that's, it is a talented class though. So you never know, but uh, I think I'd rather get the win. If you lose, you know, it is what it is. We can shift focus there, but you play to win the game. Uh, and I think you have guys fighting for their jobs still. It's not just the top 10 pick, though. I think I see everybody saying you'd rather win than get a, get a top 10 pick. But would you rather win and keep the same coaching staff for another year next year? Or would you rather lose, get the top 10 pick, and then have the reset of the coaching? Because right now it seems like Falcons fans are majority out on Arthur Smith. And if you're winning this game, I think you're probably trending towards him being back. If you lose this one, I think it becomes a real possibility that uh, it's a new staff there. Yeah, I, I think the answer is still win. You you want the team to win, and there's still I don't think everybody has given up. Again, 
I, I would like to see I would the questions that we asked at the top is, you know, Arthur Smith, you guys made the playoffs. You went nine and eight, won the division, uh, 10 and seven, won the division. But your your offense has regressed. What are you going to do about it? I want to have that. It's not an exit interview, but an end of season review. What do we need to do about it? Because the offense isn't good enough. And the answer might be I, we need to go get a quarterback. That that might be his answer. We need another wide receiver because I've got Van Jefferson out there as my you know as my number two, my number three, and he's been terrible. But the answer to this one is easy: win, win the game. You want the team to win. You want the team to keep improving and playing well because they're not going to they're not going to win out and make the playoffs if they they play like they did offensively against the New York Jets. Now they're not going to play a defense like the New York Jets very often either. But the answer to this one is win and frankly going against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, I think the I think the uh, the Atlanta Falcons should win this game, Nick. They should. Uh we'll see what happens with the offense right now. You are playing, you know, a boa constrictor kind of game and with that your margins are very thin uh so you could beat anybody but you could probably lose to anybody as well uh just you know how the ball bounces that's true for most nfl games but with the offense with as thin of margins as what the falcons are doing because of their offense probably exceedingly true uh for them so yeah it's uh this is obviously a huge game you I could, for some reason, you beat the Bucks last time, but it was like a very ugly game. You left, I think, you lost seventeen. It was turnovers. Game. They was they awesome. dominated the last yeah. game in Tampa. Dominated yeah. it. But yep. then that was the game. Desmond Ritter, I think, had two fumbles in the red zone and left a bunch of points like on the one going into the end zone when he had the yeah. ball in his right hand going left, which has yeah. been changed. They yes, dominated that, that game in Tampa. I think I remember reading too that they lost seventeen EPA on fumbles because it's not just the fumbles; it's where they happen. I think. Both of them, or one of them was on the one. They were both in the five. Yeah, one was going in. They thought it was a yep. touchdown. Yep. So that's a, that's a fluky for sure, and uh, I think we've seen that cleaned up some. So maybe that'll be enough this week. I do like that there's been more of an emphasis on Bijan Robinson uh, as well as of late. So should be a, should be a fun one. Tampa Bay is an interesting team. Baker Mayfield is, you know, you're going to have some chance to take the ball away. Maybe Jesse Bates can continue to uh, work on his all-pro campaign. We'll see how they do uh, getting after the passer. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, one of the best tackles in football. And uh, that Tampa Bay defense is is feisty. Todd Bowles has them doing a lot of fun stuff, especially with their uh, pinky in the brain. I don't even know what to call their uh, defensive tackle duo hero with Vita Vea being like the biggest, second biggest defensive tackle in football. And then Kalijah Cansey being the smallest. It's really kind of a fun dichotomy uh, there with the uh, Buccaneers on the defensive tackle spot. Winston Thornton says, good morning, fellas. Good morning to you. He says, it's time to open up this division lead like we should have uh, the three games before the bye week. Absolutely. And uh, I just, I like this matchup for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I watched them play the Carolina Panthers la uh, last night. And speaking of rain, it was one of those Florida rains where you will get waterfalls coming down the, uh, down the stairwells and flooding your cars, et cetera, et cetera. That was rain. Um, I just think the matchup is good. Tampa Bay, they like to shoot a lot of gaps and run defense, um, not necessarily stand and hold the ground and then flow with the linebackers. Kalijah Kansi was really good at getting penetration, but then you could run against that too. If he didn't pick the right gap, you're running right by him. So as I'm watching this game, Nick, I'm thinking, you know what the Falcons need to do is just quick hitters, right? You know, hand off and hit the hole fast, hard. If they guess right, it's a one yard loss or, you know, or a net zero rushing yard. 
if the if the Buccaneers guess wrong, it's twelve to fifteen yards up the middle. Um, who fits the bill of this team when it comes to running and hitting the line of scrimmage like his hair is on fire? You have. I know who you're going to say because you told me beforehand, but I'm going to say, I'm going to leave that one for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that uh, Tyler Algier is a damn bowling ball, and uh, he's somebody who maybe doesn't hit it as explosively. Uh, but as far as the brick blank house uh, coming downhill and being physical and making sure that Devin White, you better come square, otherwise you're going to miss a tackle. So I think Algier is somebody as well who can be a bludgeon in this game and um, test the the will and the fortitude of that Tampa Bay Buccaneers front seven. But I think I think when I was watching this game and I was watching uh, who was the Oklahoma State running back uh, Chuba Hubbard have success against this Tampa Bay run defense from Carolina, I was like, my God, if Cordero Patterson hits the line of scrimmage the way Chuba Hubbard did, Cordero Patterson could have ten carries for 150 yards in this game. Um, I, I think that is your best matchup as far as making sure he gets some touches early in the downs. You know, first downs. Second downs, we could see a bunch of second and 10 running plays on this. And then watching um, watching Tampa Bay, I don't think they're a running game. And you, you may tell me differently based on advanced stats and everything, but watching it, I don't feel like they're that great a rushing team. And they're not. The, uh, the Atlanta Falcons can basically play fairly basic defense, drop into cloud coverages, and Baker Mayfield will eventually put the ball in harm's way. Well, that's a bad thing right now against the Atlanta Falcons. How they started this game scared me a little bit more. They started the game by run, run, three-step drop, throw, quick passes, quick passes, quick passes. But basically, after a while, Baker Mayfield devolves into who he is, which is I want to throw it deep. I want to take shots for Mike Evans down the field, and I'm going to put the ball in harm's way. Now, Evans had a huge game. I think it was almost 200 yards, um, but – or also should have been about three interceptions in there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't Scott, I don't want to be this guy, but doesn't watching Baker Mayfield kind of remind you of uh, taking the wheels, taking the training wheels off, let him do a little bit. Russell Wilson right now. I don't want to be that guy, but so there's I think a lot of the same limitations. And uh, right now I think in a lot of the advanced metrics have like Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson overlapped with each other this season. Uh, I think Russ, I think Russ is more accurate down the field though. And I think, I think well, so he'll too. take shots. He usually does it. Baker Mayfield will do it when he's under pressure, you know, not rolling out, looking downfield and chucking it deep. He's throwing some of those into, into trouble basically as a hail Mary. Like I'm on my back foot. I've got pressure on me. I'm just going to chuck it deep and hope Mike Evans can make a play. Mm-hmm. That becomes a bigger problem. I think he, I think, I think Mayfield puts the ball in harm's way a lot more often than Russell Wilson has historically. I, I agree to an extent. I think part of that is because Russell Wilson's offenses have been so run heavy in comparison. And uh, when you start to lean the other way, it's can become a little bit more turnover prone, but uh, I digress They're I think they're similar at this point in Russ's career uh, when he's lost a little bit of that juice. But as far as the Buccaneers go on offense, this is a team that lives and dies by the explosive pass. So really you need your pass rushers to get home uh, consistently, not give Baker Mayfield all day, and uh, the just communication to be good on the back end. Richie Grant, uh, your cornerbacks, uh, AJ Terrell. Hopefully, he's you know feeling feeling okay. Uh, no, the injury reports come out Wednesday. Yeah, they'll come we'll out see. today. I'm not. Yeah, that was a pretty good concu- uh, He took a pretty good shot. I'm not overly hopeful that he'll be back. We'll, well see. But I I just. 
there haven't been a lot of guys that returned the next week after a concussion. They usually sit out two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think the Falcons can beat this team without A.J. Terrell. Well, the big key will be the explosive pass plays because yep. that is what makes – the only thing that the Buccaneers are good at statistically is explosive passes. Um, and the EPA per play because of that, they are um, – 13th in leagues, league, so not great, but above average, and 13th in explosive pass rates. You know, getting the ball downfield to future Hall of Famer Mike Evans. Uh, Godwin's still there as well. If you take away the explosive passes, though, you know, I hate to you – know, some people act like bend, don't break is a dirty word, but if you don't give up those down-the-field chunk yards, they're not going to be able to do enough. And fortunately, Scott, the biggest factor in this game for me is just how well you're statistically in style, your offense matches up with Tampa Bay. I know they've invested on defensive tackles and like Devin white was a top five pick Levante David's still there, but this Tampa Bay team is bad against the run this season. They are the, uh, wait a second. I'm reading it wrong. They've been terrible against the pass uh, and pretty good against the explosive runs. I've totally read it completely wrong. Scott, excuse me. Um, so actually that'll be a fun one. Actually going to be more on Desmond Ritter in this game. Hopefully we can get some explosive passes, though, against that Tampa Bay defense. Yeah, I think based on what I was watching against the Carolina Panthers, they are susceptible to the run. And yeah. they are susceptible to, you know, the Panthers The Panthers are driving, 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 turnover. And they're, they're running it right at them. Now, the Panthers have a, a decent offensive line, but they don't have the offensive line and the running backs that the Atlanta Falcons do. And they certainly don't have the talent on offense right now, even – you know, we just got done talking about, you know, is Ritter the guy, Kyle Pitts, and still better than what the Carolina Panthers are doing with Bryce Young and Jonathan Mingo right now and, and DJ Chark. They're, the, the, the passing game is still better in Atlanta. The, the Carolina offense is pretty putrid. Mm-hmm. And they were having success running the ball right up the gut. So they're going to have to commit numbers if they want to have any chance of stopping the Atlanta running game. And I think that's why the matchup worked out so well the first time around, because this was probably other than the turnovers, you know, except for that iceberg, everything was great. Uh, I felt like this was the the most dominating game that they they played. You know, I look at team stats. The, the final was 21-20. They outgained them by almost 100 yards, uh, 245 to 256. They rushed for 156 against 73. So they won in the trenches, just bludgeoned them. And I think that's going to be the way to go again. And I, I look for Cordero Patterson to have a big game this week. I Hopefully I need the running backs as well. Uh, a little bit of uh, eye candy as well. This I'd expect this to be a game with a lot of uh, pre-snap motion out here, uh, giving, making sure Devin White to, you know, his, make sure his eyes deceive him because he's somebody who, while he is a great athlete and uh, can do a lot of fun stuff, especially with the, blitz packages that they can do with Devin white. He can overcommit. He can get his hips facing the wrong way. And then, you know, once he buys into that jet sweep from, you know, Bajan coming in the backfield or Cordell Patterson, then boom, here comes Tyler Algier uh, the other direction. So I think hopefully you'll see some pre-snap stuff to make uh, Devin white's head spin a tad and uh, take advantage of that and his over-aggression. So I, I really do like the Falcons in this game over the Buccaneers. I just think they're playing better. I think they are better. Uh, we'll see if that's how it works out. Now there's let, let's finish up here because the chat is still talking all about quarterback right now. So let's, let's get back into that one. Michael Rancio, he asked earlier, um, you know, who do you think are the franchise guys in the draft this year uh, at quarterback? You know, the two obvious ones, Drake, uh, Drake may Caleb Williams, Jaden, Jaden Daniels is starting to play his way up into a top 10 pick after that. Who are some guys you can, uh, you, you think could be 
later round, later first round day two picks that you think could have a pretty good chance of being your guy? I think there's three quarterbacks right now I'd categorize in the draft as uh, day two guys. And you never know, right? You take a shot and things can happen. Uh, but I think Michael Penix is one, depending on the injuries. His release is a little wonky. His uh, accuracy can be hit or miss, but there's something there. Uh, I think Michael Pratt from Tulane is somebody to keep an eye on as well. He's not playing power five, but Tulane's been really feisty the last two years and uh, he's been good for them as well. And then you have day two pick Bo Nix, who I understand is I wouldn't spend a first round pick on him. Uh, a lot of his passes are, you know, get the ball, throw it out to the flat quickly. Um, you know, not a lot. How many NFL throws is he asked to make per game? Maybe three, maybe two, if that, I mean, it just, it's going to be funny because he's, when they cut him up, uh, when the, you know, the area scouts cut up his tape, um, they're going to ask to cut up the NFL throws and like, okay, we see the stats here. He threw it 40 times. Okay. Why is this uh, tape I'm having from this game? Only two throws. Well, he wasn't asked to make many NFL throws in this one. Uh, so, uh, that's a, um, uh, it makes it tough with Knicks as well. Also, I think he started the most games of any college quarterback ever. Um, given the COVID stuff and the transfer Six year guy. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So he'll be interesting to luck. Luckily, uh, for Scott and all of, uh, Falcons country uh, that you'll see a lot of those day two possible option guys down at the senior bowl. Um, so that's an option as well, where you can get eyes on them and it's really makes a difference when you can see them throw back to back. Um, at least I think, you know, you can get an idea of what the arm actually is <laughs> in that kind of setting. Uh, so that'll be uh, that'll be key as well, but you're probably, you're definitely out of the Caleb Williams, Drake may sweepstakes unless those guys commit a crime, um, which in that case, we're talking a different conversation and uh We'll see with Jaden Daniels, but it does seem like he's probably playing himself into the top 10. Uh, so we'll be, uh, we'll be super interesting to follow. Uh, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Justin Fields in here. Uh, he's honestly one that uh, I would be super interested still. We'll see how he plays down the stretch here. Are you going to be okay trading for him and then paying him a hundred million in a year or two? I mean, that's, that's tough. That's probably what you're looking at. Uh, but uh, there's options out there. Uh, no doubt. And, and it would be one of those where the Chicago Bears pick up his fifth-year option before the draft just so they make sure they've got two years of control on him before they make a trade. Mm-hmm. Liquor with Lenore says, we wasted two weeks having Dez on the bench, and you went 0-2 in that stretch. Um, we've talked about this before. Watching other sports, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen in football. It happens in every other sport. A guy's not playing well. You sit him down. You sit him down in baseball. You sit him down in soccer doesn't happen so much in basketball, but you will do some rotations with that. And I think it might just be the number of games is the reason why. But the flip side of this argument is, do you think it may have done Desmond Ritter some good to sit out two weeks and clear his head and and then get a different perspective on things, settle him down and come back? Do you think that could have been a net positive over the course of the year? Or do you think he would have been better off in the game, in the in those two games? God, it's so hard to say from where we sit, Scott, and uh, we only can go off what we know from here. I guess it could have been a positive, but there are times when you're going to have to find it as an NFL quarterback, even in a game, but definitely during a season that you're not going to be able to sit down. You are the dude. They look to you when things go wrong. So if you are you know, needing to be sat to be your confidence, then what is the rest of the team thinking about you uh, in that situation? So it could have been a net positive. He's still exceedingly young. Maybe his head was swimming a bit. Uh, we need to get back to basics here. You're not getting to the read that you're supposed to. It's simple stuff. You're just overthinking it. Let's sit you down. Calm me down. It's fine. I, I get it. But at the same time, I think it is a at least a data point to maybe he isn't the overall 
dude that you're looking for to lead the franchise rather than somebody to get you through a, a period of Falcons football. Yeah. And I, I think if remember where we were in that point of the season, uh, double L here, remember he had just given up three interceptions to the Washington commanders in a loss, an inexcusable loss at home. He just lost three fumbles to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a win and a skinnier teeth win that they barely, you know, that, that they, uh, they barely ended up winning in a game that they had dominated. And then he was eight of 12 for 71 yards against the Tennessee Titans and had lost a fumble as well in the first half. And the Falcons were down 14 to three. It was going really, really badly downhill for for Desmond Ritter and I just wonder you know over the course of a long season yes you lost those two games but might it be a net positive for Desmond Ritter to have sat those two games maybe yeah maybe we don't know for sure but maybe clear your head come back Taylor Heineke actually had Desmond Ritter still run the quarterback rooms during that, those periods which just shows a lot of leadership and professionalism from Taylor Heineke and since he's been back he's 2-0 and and it's taking care of the football Nick yeah uh, and that's key. I mean, that's baseline, right? That's the the building blocks that you need, especially for where the defense is playing in Atlanta this season. If you're going to do anything, do not turn the ball over. And that's a baby step from there. Hopefully you can build some confidence and do some things there. But in the very least, complimentary football. I mean, with the offensive line investment that you have, the, again, the defense, the way it's playing, if you don't put yourself in bad positions, you're going to give yourself a chance to win some games. Now, can you do the end of game heroics where you've kept it close for a while and break glass uh, where you need it at the end with Ritter. I don't know. Uh, right now I'd probably say not, but you know, we haven't seen it enough. So yeah, I think it's uh, I'm mean, really excited that we still get to see another five games of Ritter uh, this season and we'll see where the Falcons end up picking. There are, I think it's a trend going forward in the NFL quarterback movement is I think going to be higher than we've seen in previous decades based on what we've seen the last two years. Uh, so there should be an ability to reset uh, if you want to or need to, especially because the Falcons are still exceedingly flexible with their salary cap. Uh, so it will be uh, interesting to follow with Ritter. Baby step, protect the ball. This is another game. You protect the ball. I think Tampa Bay will turn it over. And you do that, you should win the football game. Going back to Knight Raider, he says, I wouldn't be surprised if we traded for uh, Justin Fields. If I'm not mistaken, didn't Terry want to draft Fields? I, I never saw anything about that come out from okay there was an argument in the you know there was this camp versus this camp mm -hmm. and then justin fields fell all the way to where did he fall about 11 and that one do you remember but uh it was it was still top i think 15. 11 was parsons so do i and uh and and wasn't sertan nine yeah so he may have been 10 <laughs> yeah but it was, was like but he felt a lot of teams that were talking quarterback passed on him including the denver broncos i yeah. disagreed at the time I still disagree based on how this the, the, the Falcons have played out in their quarterback position since that pick was made and the pick that they made as a pass catcher with big quarterback questions. Um, but I don't remember seeing anything anything like that. And then uh, let me see here. There was uh, – and, and then JB saying, but Penix and Dez battling is someone I wouldn't mind seeing that. You know, there's some questions about the knees with, uh, with Penix, but his arm, he, he's not a guy that – He's got enough arm to be an NFL quarterback. He doesn't. He isn't going to rely on his legs too. So maybe he falls in the draft and you take him, and then see what uh, see what you can get from there. But you know, it, it could be 
there's concerns with the knees and sacks, those type of things, but he's got enough of an arm that the mobility isn't going to make him or break him. Yeah. He's interesting because he has some wow down the field throws in buckets that are tough, but his down to down accuracy or precision, if you will, if we're going to use the correct term is a little bit erratic. Uh, there'll be balls where it's like, that was, that was not a layup, but you know, that was a, you know, not too far from the hoop, uh, easy two pointer. And he made the wide receiver really work for it. So some of the ball placement stuff is just a little erratic with Penix. Also, maybe it's just a left-handed thing, Scott. I don't know if you can probably tell me a little bit about this too, but the release looks wonky. It's not that it's necessarily elongated, but it's not always overly tight and uh, it looks a little odd. Somebody mentioned him as a uh, left-handed Philip Rivers, which if you can get that from him, that's fine. But there is something a little bit like, you know, it's not as ugly as Rivers, but it's it's a it's not a clean, aesthetically pleasing uh, release. I could watch Rivers for 10 years, have success at every level and still be shocked he's a quarterback based on that release of his. It was it was so bad. It just how quickly is it coming out that it, it comes out the way, but I, I, I grew up with Joe Montana, but then a little bit older, I had Steve young. So, you know, I saw one of the best lefty quarterbacks of all time. So, but again, is he, to your point, is he the exception that proves the rule that things are a, uh, a little different, but I, um, I like the arm that I see from Michael Penix, you know, watching Washington against Oregon. I'm like, there's no question which of these guys I would rather have. But then I saw when they felt when when Bo Nix fell behind, I saw some things that I liked. They finally is like, okay, we have to start pushing the ball downfield, and he can, he's got good mobility, and he throw, he's got plenty of arm. So we'll see on Bo Nix. But uh, and I see Rusty real quick says Penix is very accurate with film you've been watching. I I don't know. I see wide receivers who are making a lot of adjustments, and it is the down to down placement that is. And how far not- do you live from Husky Stadium, Nick? I live close enough that when they played the Apple Cup, um, they uh, I went outside to listen to the <laughs> the fans go nuts before it happened on my yeah. TV. Michael Penix plays in his backyard. I'd, I'd I'd listen to him on this one. He he plays in his backyard. Um, I, again, the number he's going to be twenty five years old. I really do like Penix, and I think he's an awesome dude uh, as well. I think mm-hmm. that I mean I from what I've heard and seen, he's somebody you'd love to have. But when I watch him, it's just not as it's just a little bit volatile in terms of where the ball placement is on down, down. Now that the peak and the highlights of it down the field is like, Oh my God, he can throw it anywhere. But sometimes, you know, like that 10 yard out, it's like, Oh man, why is it on the, sh- the wide receivers back shoulder? That one should be there every time. It's not a crazy hard throw. Uh, so that's one that is, I, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I saw a lot of people mocking Michael Penix in like the first round earlier. I don't see that uh, from him, but he's, he's good. Uh, no doubt. And I think a day two quarterback, which, Take a shot. I mean, he has a chance to be a good, uh, good quarterback. Bucks raise bolts coming in. Bucks raise bolts. I know he's in here on the Falcons channel, but that's Tampa, Tampa, Tampa. Are we? A, is this a Tampa fan? I see him saying like we, us. I don't know what's going Ooh, on here. Bolts in Tampa. Tampa Bay, the, the Lightning. Oh, okay, yeah, that works. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't know what's going on here. Bucks raise. I bolts hear bolts, and I think Chargers. Yeah. It, well, yes, yeah. but I always, I think. Uh, with those teams, I told you, I'm, that's why I'm absolutely garbage at crossword puzzles because once I have the answer, I. I lock in and my brain just closes down like bolts chargers. I'm done. <laughs> we did it. We made it. Um, Jordan, how far will Jordan Travis fall down the draft? Uh, I think that he's probably a, he's another one who sounds like a great a character, dude. I feel so bad for him. I don't know if you saw after Florida state didn't make the playoffs. He released a statement like saying, I guess I should have broke my leg sooner. Like, I think he feels fault for Florida state, not making the, uh, 
the playoffs because he broke his leg. I mean, it's just there's a no win situation on that one. But I feel bad for Jordan Travis. I think he's probably a day three, early day three quarterback, probably round four. Uh, he's probably on the veteran quarterback path because of how people talk about his work ethic, character, everything like that. And he can come in and do a job with, you know, enough athleticism, whatnot. But I don't see a starting uh, NFL quarterback uh, personally. So could be could, but could be a good backup. And I think some people hear that and they think, oh, my God, you hate him. That, that's a compliment. Most of the guys that you watch are like, this guy has no chance to sniff it in the league. I think he can stick in the league and you know, become a vested veteran. So there's money and value there's, to that. There's not a lot of open quarterback spots year in and year out. There's maybe half a dozen at most. And this year, Scott, I mean, how many freaking teams are playing backups right now? I mean, it feels yeah. like half the league is starting their backup quarterback. <laughs> so you need to have a guy back there that you can trust that can hold oh, it down for a little which bit. Which is why you've heard me say a bunch of times that all those big 100-mile-an-hour fastball guys, they're playing baseball. They're, you know, the, the quarterback position – if I'm six three plus with a ninety plus mile an hour fastball, there are fourteen. There's four hundred and fifty major league pitcher jobs in the NFL now, or in the major league baseball. Four hundred and fifty versus thirty two, and they don't open up very often either. Uh, it's it's tough. So on that note, we are going to get out of here. And Knight Rider says, "I just want to know the genius who said Zach Wilson was the guy." Oh man, that was a strange one. Him at number two and Trey Lance at number three were just, you know, Trey Lance hadn't even played in a year. He has hadn't that's fallen in love with highlights, Nick. It's it's like, okay, I see the traits. Okay, well, the traits at quarterback mean the least compared to every other position in the NFL. Now you have to have the enough factor, mm -hmm. but as far as pure athleticism goes, that's the one where the measurables count the least is quarterback for me traits. I still want a superhero quarterback if I can, oh, and, but, I know, a, but comparatively speaking, if I'm looking at measurements as far as, okay, he's at least, he's got the enough factor. He's at least six. What he's, he's got at least this amount of velocity in his arm. He at least gets it out this fast. Okay. That's fine. Now if you give me a guy who's six, three, 300 pounds with a four, four shuttle. He's probably gonna be a pretty good player. I, 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 I those, the measurables translate better to other positions than they do to quarterback. Yeah. I think like you mentioned, it's the enough factor. I always say it's the foot in the door. Um, once you have that level baseline and if you have more, it's, it's good. Uh, but uh, yeah, Charlie Beagle says they also have to have good hair as a quarterback. Appreciate you, Charlie. Uh, but yeah, no, the quarterback is hard. And as JB says, uh, QB, you never know. Um, it's true. Quarterback is probably one of the most, dependent positions uh in football it's and it, it's what makes them the hardest to evaluate especially from the college level when it's not standardized uh, across all the leagues and whatnot right so the systems you're playing the talent you have around you the type of defenses you're playing uh like the example i like to use is uh looking back if we redid that uh oh god what was it, the 2020 draft uh justin herbert for sure goes top three Right. There's just no doubt. I know they haven't been great this year, but that's not really Justin Herbert's fault. And he's a big, huge athlete quarterback. I mean, he's prototype, but he falls to seven overall. Why? Oregon's asking him to hit bubble screens. Eighty percent of his throws. Uh, he's not in a, and he's playing the Pac-12. People don't know what to make of him. Uh, so that's something where it's evaluating quarterbacks is damn hard. I mean, <laughs> we just had a team trade up to take Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud fell to two. So it's uh, you never know. Um, it's it's that's why I'm very much of approach of. Uh, you got to draft guys with the baseline tools and uh, they also have to be the hardest worker and a uh, smart kid as well. Uh, and I know that's asking for, you know, the perfect guy, but you're talking about an investment. And if you do all that and you miss, 
process if you do good process more times than not you'll get good results yeah we're talking about 32 jobs in an entire profession that a million people play football in it's gotta gotta go after it on that note y'all we're gonna get out of here um my pick i don't think i heard yours i think the atlanta falcons are or will beat the tampa bay buccaneers what do you think i think the falcons are gonna win as well do you happen to know what the uh the spread is for this one the over half falcons and the uh the game tracks for the game cast for espn actually gives the edge to the tampa bay buccaneers wow yeah well, that one uh Again, there's not a lot of belief in the Atlanta Falcons right now. And frankly, they haven't given enough reason for people to believe in them right now. But again, it's Tampa Bay has not been very good either. The woeful NFC South is rearing its head. Yeah, they've been, uh, <laughs> they are who we thought they were uh, this season. But you get in, we'll see what happens. I got the Falcons winning this one too. I think it'll be low scoring. I think the Falcons defense are going to play a grinded out style uh, overall. Might come down to special teams. And yeah, that's one of those ones where it's close enough, you know, who makes the big special teams play. Uh, but I'll have Atlanta winning this one. I'll go 23 to 17. I think I think Atlanta opens us up a little bit more, and I like 27-17, somewhere in that in that range. I think there's a little more points on here. The running game, the matchup's just not great for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in against a hard-nosed, bludgeoning Atlanta Falcons team. Limit the turnovers that did you in last time, or you would have put 30 on the board. And this one's at home. Uh, I like I like the Atlanta Falcons chances in this one. Charlie Beagle says, Is there a Broncos show today? Uh, there's a Broncos show every day on over on Mile High Huddle. There will be a show uh, at eight o'clock tonight Eastern Time. That will be the Mile High Insiders with Carl or with uh, with Luke and Thomas. So we're out of here. Appreciate you being here. We ended up going long, uh, but that's okay. We wanted to uh, to be here for y'all. The conversation was awesome today in the chat. So thank you. Uh, want to say thank you very much to our benefactor today, Michael Rankio. Kick the show off with a fifty dollars super chat. That helps keep the lights on, keeps my forehead nice and shiny, helps me and Nick do more content so we can reach more fans just like you. We're going to get out of here. We will be back tomorrow on Broncos for Breakfast at youtube.com slash milehighhuddle, and we will be back here on YouTube uh, Friday morning to talk for Coast to Coast Football, to talk playoffs, to talk draft, et cetera, et cetera. So appreciate everybody for being here, and we will see you next time. Peace.